This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, concluding our conversation with Ben Beheran from Creative Strategies and Techpedians, we discuss the uncertain future of different technologies from wearables, VR, AR, and home automation after the smartphone platform. We also discuss the key tech trends in the year ahead. Welcome back. I have Ben Beheran from Techpedians and Creative Strategies who will join us for the second part of the conversation because we talked on the first part about the October surprises that came from Apple, Google, and Microsoft. Now, in the second part, I want to tap on Ben's brains on an uncertain technology world. So, Ben, I wanted to ask you this for quite a while. The smartphone has turned out to be a major hardware platform in the past nine years since the iPhone emerged, whereas wearables, home automation systems like Amazon Echo and VR AR sets like Vive have ignited some enthusiasm, but now we're close to the scale of what the smartphone has achieved. So I have three questions on that. The first part is, Is it just because the smartphone platform is one that can extend to any new systems but not vice versa with these new platforms from wearables, home automation systems, and AR VR sets? Well, we're talking about different magnitudes of scale, right? Everybody, and I still think we're on the path to still bring, you know, a a smartphone or a pocket computer to to every human. You know, we're, we're not there yet. If we've got just over 2 billion people with a smartphone, we've still got another 2 billion people on feature phones. So point at some point in time that those convert. So we're heading in that direction. But that's I mean, it's really hard to talk about a pro a hardware product that truly has that kind of scale and, and will for at some point in time. I mean, you could make the case that perhaps 20 years from now, everybody has some sort of an embedded wearable and that is the future beyond the smartphone. But we've just never seen anything like like this kind of scale before. And I don't think you can say, you know, right now for the foreseeable future that VR and AR or any of those things are going to hit a, a 2 billion, 3 billion, 4 billion installed base anytime soon like we're going to see the smartphone. So you're sort of just going to continue to see the smartphone be the center of kind of that broader computing ecosystem and it'll extend to things right it extends to wearables it extends to vr and ar and and we'll we'll see those those categories grow they'll grow slowly but we'll see them grow but it's still it's 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 really just like i said it's a scale question you know we just you're we have not seen something that can that can get to every human on the planet especially in a pretty short amount of time so it's really hard to draw any parallels to that to the smartphone and i still think they're all going to come from the center that's still the smartphone for for really a long time to come. So I guess the smartphone still have another three more billion to reach before it could really get to saturation. So the second question is, does that mean the future technology at the moment is actually more fragmented and niche world and we won't see a platform like the smartphone for the time being? Yeah, I mean, I think people disregard you know, the reality that, you know, the PC is 30 something years old and it's still a critical part of, of a lot of people's lives and workflows. So I, I, I think the smartphone has just a lot longer life than than people give, you know, seem to believe. So I, I think, yes, the, the reality is that something will come off of that again, whether it's AR, VR, wearables, and, and they'll be a part of the ecosystem. And they could, again, they could be big markets, right? I mean, over time, this is again a, a, a much longer perspective, but you could see 
the market for an AR VR headset be in the, you know, three, four hundred, five hundred millions, right? You could see the same for, for wearables at some point. But though nothing's gonna have the steep kind of growth curve that that we've seen with with smartphones. So it's it's really just more of a kind of a steady a steady growth in the category, a slow burn as consumers adopt it and prices come down and experiences get developed. So I do think you're seeing quite a lot more fragmentation around these peripheral categories that we're talking about. And, you know, again, you know, when we look at it, we're just trying to get some understanding of how big those markets could be in terms of unit volume and installed base, because that that sort of helps shape where people will spend their resources, right? If it's 100 million installed base versus a 600 million installed base, you're going to see different companies attack those, those, those very differently. So I think we're just not going to see anything like we saw on smartphones from a from a rapid growth in terms of an S curve, but AR, VR, wearables, whatever's next, right? I think you could just, you can see a steady uptick, but it's not going to be this hockey stick. And then what might hover around that might have the propensity with the smartphone? Is it the VR space or is it just the home automation systems or wearables? I mean, in the kind of order of magnitude that we're talking about, because between the smartphone and the PC is about 30 years. And in between the, that period, we also have AR, VR, we also have, you know, home automation systems, and we also have an older version, what we call feature phones. So is, is it like there will be this many, many technology systems, and then there will be one that actually break out and become the dominant platform? Then? I mean, I, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think right now it, it's really hard to envision anything <clears throat> that that reaches that scale just because again of the price point you know you can get these things down to a hundred bucks the central role in kind of daily mobile communication you know i mean i think you could you could make a point right and especially if you look at a lot of sci-fi that some sort of a connected glasses ar-ish type thing could be on everybody you know that we all might wear something or have something on us that kind of gives us superpowers, if you will, right? Ability to see our world, analyze our world, give us data, et cetera. And we don't have to look down at a screen or pull it out of our pocket to do so. So there's definitely some logic there. I mean, again, I think you've it, it, it's going to be a piece of hardware that can span the use case of such a wide group of people that, that adds value. And it's just going to be, you know, a long time. I, I mean, so it's, it's certainly, if it's anything, it's going to be something that we wear the flip side of that is that it might not be one option, right? Like the smartphone, it's kind of a, the shape of it is one size fits all. It fits in our pocket. It's roughly between four and a half and five and a half inches is the volume out there. So, but I'm not sure wearables is like, hey, everybody's going to have glasses. Like we might all have a different version of it. So it might be also, again, very fragmented, even though the category technology that I wear on my person spans the entire globe, it might start off and be very, very richly segmented versus kind of a one size fits all that looked like the PC for some time and is now fragmenting and the smartphone, it might just look very different, even if everybody has one. So so then it would be hard to say there's any one version of that that achieves the same scale because maybe glasses get to 600 million and wrist-based wearables with some sort of a HUD or something, right? So it might, it just might look different even if it spans everybody. But something like that, it, it seems to be like the question of what could come next. You know, is it something in our ear, on our wrist, on our face? Th these are all the things that I think it's clearly, if it's anything, which it, it's something that we wear 
that's present, always visible versus something that keeps stays in our pocket and our purse. But again, that might not be a one form factor fits all type of a model. While the smartphone is the major hardware platform integrated with software, we see AI is now the other piece in software where automation is now improved with smartness. And that's where the voice UI become very interesting. So how do you evaluate the AI efforts from Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and even Baidu in China? Yeah, it's tough because a lot of stuff that that I think we're calling AI is not not actually AI. You know, I mean, if you look at what's happening with everything we've talked about, voice search, voice automation, I mean, it's still just using our voice to perform an action that could still be done with our fingers, right? We could search the internet with our fingers. We're just choosing to do so with our voice. We could set an alarm. We could ask it to play a song. We could do all these things with our fingers. We're just saying... In some situations, it's easier to, to use my voice than my fingers for that action. Th- these things are not like truly bringing a form of artificial intelligence to us by way of surfacing original types of content to us on our behalf versus us, you know, versus us sort of initiating. I think the closest thing you've got is to, to kind of this reality is Google or Apple Maps knowing where your next appointment is and saying, hey, with traffic right now, you need to leave right now if you want to be on time. So there's some machine learning, there's some AI that goes into that. It's nowhere near, you know, where it's going to go. But right now we're in like the pre-stages of this market where, you know, people are just getting used to kind of interacting with their, their their devices in a different way. Right now, voice is kind of a mechanism for that. But 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 much of this stuff is not really AI yet. We're not to the point where these things are truly, truly smart and can operate on our behalf, on our behalf and do things for us without us asking them to. We're getting there. We're, we're just not there yet. And that's going to take a really, really long time. And there's so much hard work in front of everybody trying to go down that path that, that, that I don't see this like happening in any, any significant form in, in the next few years and, and beyond. So we're, we're at a stage where we're just kind of hoping for some behavioral changes where humans start becoming more familiar interacting with these products. Voices is a part of it, but it's not the only part that we'll, we will interact with an AI. But a lot of the stuff we keep saying, hey, that's AI. And that's, you know, it's, it's not it's not really AI. It's not the vision that anybody who works in AI or machine learning has for what these things will do. We're way off from that vision. So we're, we're at just the earliest stages possible. And you know, it's such a long game. It's, honestly, it's, it's really hard to declare a winner. As much as people want to say, hey, Apple's screwed or Microsoft's screwed and Google's inevitable. Like that's that's wrong. And that's 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 a false way of of looking at the market because we're so far off from this. It's really hard to figure out who wins and loses. And it might be it might not be a winner take all market. And I think I constantly encourage everybody that I talk to, that you know, the evidence in the world today is that it's so much of global tech is not a winner-take-all market. And so it's really just people having a market share of a bigger market share and, and competing for those shares. It's a bit like, I guess, the Microsoft's PC-dominated era is more anomaly as compared maybe to today where your smartphone is a duopoly of, say, between Google and Apple, where you see very, very different issues that both ecosystems have. I, I wanted to ask one question regarding Google. There is some theories that the Google's Pixel phone is actually to fix Android's fragmented ecosystem or deeply incorporate a new strategy that actually linked up with AR or VR that, or something that people have not thought about. What do you think about that? 
No, I mean, it's it's not going to solve fragmentation because by nature of competition within Android, vendors have to do some unique stuff in order to differentiate because, again, like I said, they're they're already in unsustainable positions. And so they they would be even in more unsustainable positions if all they did is is fully sell themselves out, out to Google. So there's parts of what Google's doing with Pixel, which they might offer to other OEMs, but other OEMs probably won't take them up on, on that offer because they want to do their own to control more of those experiences. So there's certainly a gap that, that they've got, an opportunity in the marketplace. I think there's some things that they'll do, which you'll see kind of trickle down, some ways in which it could be used as a kind of reference idea for other OEMs. To, to tackle onto. But I, again, I don't think that's the driving ambition sort of behind why, why they're doing things. I think they really want to own a piece of the marketplace for themselves. And so they're going to do things, they're going to do things accordingly. So, you know, I, I don't think this, this, this fixes the fragmentation problem. I, I'm not sure, you know, how much of it kind of even just drives other forms of innovation from their OEMs. But I, I mean, again, I think they're, they're being very selfish about, you know, the market as, as they should be, as Microsoft is with service, they're, they're thinking selfishly. It's about growing a hardware business for the benefit of making money in that space so moving ahead to the next year as the major announcements are now over what do you see the key trends that will be happening in the next year then well i mean i think we're we're still on a path where you know i mean again we're not going to see anything truly groundbreaking earth shattering revolutionary happening i mean i think again in all the interesting categories we're talking about there's still a lot of iteration to be had you're going to see a lot more heat up next year in in ar and vr i think in 2018 we might actually start to see some significant momentum because there'll be a pretty big ecosystem behind what's going on in ar and vr so that might be the start of its of its kind of growth cycle and whatever whatever rapid pace it's it's on. So I do think that we're in that sort of a space. You know, obviously self-driving cars and automation in smart home. But the the one thing I think that's kind of most interesting for me to watch is is going to be around security and privacy. It, it's something I still, other than Apple, don't really see a lot of people talk about. But we have sufficient enough evidence now from our research that. Consumer sentiment and awareness around security and privacy is really at an all-time high, like unprecedented levels of awareness compared to a few years ago where we could probably have safely have made the claim, hey, nobody really cares about their security and privacy. Like All of that's honestly changed. And there aren't enough people thinking about that. I mean, that's applicable to smart home. That's applicable to automated cars. That's applicable to AR and VR, right? All of these things are actually pretty invasive technologies, right? I should be concerned if if somebody can hack my house and get into my, you know, get into my security camera or do things like we saw a few weeks ago with the global DDoS attack where unsecure smart home products were used to launch an attack, right? So we don't want people to be able to take that and take down our payment system, right? Or any forms of malicious intent use our unsecure Internet of Things devices. So there's a heightened awareness, I think, at large that's, that's sort of circling around security and privacy. And, and honestly, that mentality is slowing the adoption of some things. And I think that we have to be aware of that, that some of these things we want to do and create really aren't going to go anywhere past their early enthusiasts until we actually layer on some security and privacy measures that make sense for the real world. So the fact that that's becoming more of a barrier to not adopt things than we've ever seen before is really interesting. And I don't see a lot of people talking about that. So I tend to think that that this narrative somewhere around security and privacy is going to continue to be 
somewhere at the center of kind of all these interesting things from automated cars to, you know, wearable tech to smart home, even AR and VR, right? Things that can see our eyes and face and capture our environment. You know, those again, those are in, those are invasive things. And so so I, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. We're at least encouraging everybody we work with to, to consider and think more about what's going on in security and privacy, because we think it's a pretty big issue and we don't think enough people are taking it as seriously as it needs to be. I totally agree with you on the security part. And even in the logistics, when we think about enterprise system, security seems to be the number one concern for us as well when talking to governments about Internet of Things as well. So it's always good to have you here, Ben. And I really enjoyed this conversation. How my audience, how do they find you? Best way, honestly, is on Twitter at Ben Beharin, just because I tweet everything that I write and the different podcasts that I'm on, you know, from there. So it's kind of the central hub of stuff. But write regularly at Tech Pinions. We offer a sort of subscription site where I do anywhere from two to three unique articles for subscribers at Tech Pinions. So those are the two places you'll constantly see kind of our stuff. But uh, Twitter at, at Ben Beharin is probably the easiest place to, to always see stuff from me. I'm a subscriber of Tech Pinions and I highly recommend every of my audience should go and check it out and subscribe to it. You can find me at bleongcw.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast and Google Play, but only in the US market. And drop me a note and if you have any thoughts or improvements or any guests you want to try to get on the show, let me know. And once again, Ben, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me.